the FT. When pitching for private equity, preparation is key. Systematic, methodical preparation. That's why we created Mishcon Invest. It helps clients develop robust pitch strategies. If we can't identify any weak points, nor will anyone else. Mishcon Dorea. It's business, but it's personal. Welcome to the first podcast in the Financial Times' Deals and Dealmakers series. I'm Anusha Sakui, the FT Mergers and Acquisitions Correspondent. Well, what lies ahead this year? Will it be one of dealmaking excitement? Today we'll be taking a look at what some industry analysts think is on the horizon. With me in the studio today is Jonathan Stubbs, pan-European equity strategist at Citigroup in London, and John Clark, who heads the UK oil and gas team at Ernst & Young. Thanks to both of you for joining me. Jonathan, I'll just start with you, if I may. Um, it's not been a great start to the year so far, with M&A volumes globally posting the sort of slowest start to a year since 2003. Do you think M&A will remain in the doldrums this year? It has clearly been a, a slow start to the year. Corporates are in you know, good shape. You have strong balance sheets, you have strong cash flow, but they're behaving defensively. A lot of companies are hoarding cash. I think they're hoarding cash because confidence is still very fragile. Right? We have to remember that only last year we had the, the European sovereign debt crisis where many people thought the euro would uh, not exist. And we also had fears of you know, global economic recession. So those fears are still very, very fresh for corporates. I think the other, the other thing that's important is that companies are behaving in, in a defensive manner with, with, their, with their activity, but they're doing it through di- dividends and through buybacks rather than M&A. Well, Apple being a classic example in recent days. A classic example. And in, you know, in the US, you're almost back to 2007 buyback peak levels. So you've seen this consistent pickup in buyback activity over the last two, three years. And dividends is a similar story where you're seeing companies paying bigger and bigger dividends. What do you think will be the tipping point to make companies do more M&A rather than share buybacks or dividends? I, I mean, I think the two the two biggest factors that we have to sort of think about are, are macro and political. Uh, we need to see greater economic stability. That's in Europe, but also across the world. And we need to see lower levels of political risk. You know, we've got some big elections still coming up this year. So I think it's some time before we see the perfect environment for M&A. John, in terms of the sort of deal flow that you guys are start, starting to see signs of for this year, what do you what are you expecting a pickup on last year? Yeah, we're we're sort of probably a little bit more optimistic than than Jonathan. I think uh, for a number of reasons. Firstly, as, as as Jonathan explained, a lot of the large corporates, our, our large clients, are very well capitalised, and they're looking to deploy that capital. I, I do I do think we're going to see an increase in sort of mid-sized transactions, so 500 million, a billion size, so the more tactical deals rather than the strategic multi-billion dollar transactions, which which I'd agree with, Jonathan, you probably need to have a, a much clearer view of some of the risks out there on that. Some advisors so, say, say that, the, that whilst there's a bit more activity, that actually getting deals done is harder. Do you agree with that? Uh, I think it varies from sector to sector. There's a lot of uncertainty to navigate mm. in, in a number of sectors you know, around the wider macroeconomic environment. And clearly where you've got those uncertainties, a buyer will take one view and a seller will take the other. And it's hard to get a, a meeting in the middle. But in some sectors, we're seeing a, you know, continued distress. That's driving M&A. In other sectors, we're actually seeing growth-driven M&A returning uh, to the market. Well, that brings us on to, on to your specialty, oil and gas particularly, which has been uh, very active uh, mm-hmm. so far this year. Um, can you tell, tell us a bit about some of the situations that, that we've already seen play out um, and what is, what is, what's, be, what's driving M&A in, in, amongst oil and gas companies? I mean, oil and gas is a sector that's driven by trends in the global economy. And the global economy is very much better than the European economy. So that's one reason why it's, it's quite an active sector. In 2011, there were nearly four deals each and every day. 
in the oil and gas space. We do have a two-tier sector. The large companies are very well capitalised. The smaller companies, many of those are struggling to access finance. Uh, and where you've got that uh, need for finance, what you're seeing in, in quite a lot of the situations that are unfolding at the moment is the, the larger companies taking advantage of their balance sheet strength. And we've seen like some, some quite amazing uh, appetites. We've got Cove Energy, for example, mm. which has had ties, the Indians, uh, Shell, uh, all racing after it. But is this just the beginning or is, are we, is, this, um, is this a trend that, that's likely to, to play out for the rest of the year or, or is it going to be a bit of a that's it really? No, I think there's going to be more, more transactions that you would characterise as small companies who've had a success. They're sitting on, a, on an asset with great potential. They need the finance to unlock it. And this is one of the reasons why I love working in the oil and gas industry. You know, it's truly global. So you've got Shell Shell over here, the Indians, the Thais, the, the Chinese have, have been very active as well. You know, in 2011, Asian national oil companies completed 65 transactions in the oil and gas sector. So it's a, it's a key area for them to focus and on. And do you expect it to be a lot more busier this year? Well, last year was quite busy. Mm. Uh, I think oil and gas has proved to be a very resilient sector. Uh, mm. Well, that's what I keep telling my boss. Um, <laughs> uh, and I expect it to continue to be busy this year. Jonathan, in terms of other sectors, I mean, mining by numbers has been the um, the biggest sector so far this year. And, you know, the Glencore's proposed merger with Extrata, obviously taking, um, you know, posting the big watermark. What what uh, what sectors do you think will be busy? We we tend to sort of follow two sort of simple rules um, when sort of considering M and A. What one is to sort of follow the deals, and the second is follow the money. And if if you look at the deals that have happened over the last twelve to eighteen months, sectors like John, you know, oil and gas sector, mining, as you mentioned, uh, tech, industrials. This is where some of the the, the bigger deals have happened and where some of the you know, where, where you see more deal activity generally and um, these are also uh, areas of the market where you have strong balance sheets you have good cash flow and you have good access to funding so following the money also would take you to these sectors i think the the other the other groups we would look at are areas like sort of consumers and healthcare where we'd expect to see CEO, CEOs looking for you know, growth opportunities in growth markets. And that's something John mentioned as well. I think generally where you have pressure on global GDP, pressure is on CEOs to go out there and try and sort of deliver growth to shareholders. And is that so um, you know, Western consumer groups going into emerging markets for growth? I think the, the, the geographic aspect of M&A becomes increasingly important, you know, just as we've seen this divergence of economic growth between countries in Europe and between regions, between developed and emerging markets. I think M&A also follows that pattern. So you know, all, all the six sectors I mentioned are all global sectors. Mm-hmm. They're not UK or European centric. Um, so CEOs, we expect to you know, continue to chase the dream and the dream continues to be emerging market growth. And what do you think will be this year um, big impediments to deal making? You, you made a reference to the elections, we've got election cycles in the US and France, uh, we've got the Olympics, you know, some deal makers are telling me that in the consumer space, for example, there might be some hesitancy in, in doing deals during with all the holidays of Jubilee. Da, da, da. What are you thinking are going to be the main issues for uh, blocking deals this year? Um, I mean, holidays can slow deals. I'm sure John doesn't go on holidays, so I'm sure the oil and gas sector keeps ticking, ticking over. Um, markets, as we know, don't generally respect holidays. Look at performance you know, last year. But you know, the, the, the biggest risks clearly are macro and political. Um, you mentioned some of the elections we have, but it's, you know, it's France, it's US, it's China. We've had, had the Russian election. 
you know, Ken and Boris in London, which is maybe sort of less important for global M&A. But there's a lot of political risk there. And you know, if, if I were a CEO making a multi, multi-year multi investment decision and I was unsure about what political climate I was making that decision in, I'd perhaps wait a while. Hold off. So, yeah, I, I think that's right. I think the conditions for M&A are, are, are very attractive. Mm-hmm. But the political risks and some of the economic risks that we still have outstanding may well temper the pickup in M&A that we see through this year. John, what do you, what do you think? Uh, navigating uncertainty would be uh, the, the phrase I would use. And, and in the energy world, you have uncertainties around commodity prices, capital markets. You've got the wider uncertainties in, in, the, um, in the economy, both in the eurozone. The US, we certainly see emerging emerging into sort of the, there's some green shoots of recovery if you like so capital markets and transaction trends are, are improving there we hope that will spill over into europe and we're quite excited as, as jonathan said by what's happening in in emerging markets the trick though is uh, where you've got these uncertainties is getting buyers and sellers to reach a common ground that's not always possible in a straight cash deal so we expect there'll probably be more uh, deals with complex structures, you might see more joint ventures and, and transactions of that kind of nature. But, I mean, in the in the oil sector, obviously there's a, there's a you know a dash for for assets, and given the sort of highly uh, sensitive political environment and economic environment, is it is it not a, a more difficult time for for oil companies? There's lots of different difficulties. I mean, oil and, and uh, mining as well are, are sort of self-balancing systems. If you don't invest, production levels decline. So you create a, a gap for new projects all the time. So the challenge for the big companies is actually finding those new projects. Most of them are very well capitalised. The opportunities for them might be through through deals with host governments, but they might be through buying up those smaller companies who are, who are struggling to find uh, financing. With that, I have to say, unfortunately, it's all we have time for. It's definitely going to be an interesting year, even if it isn't a bull market for M&A. Remember, you can access the full Deals and Dealmakers report at ft.com forward slash dealmakers. Thanks again to my guests, Jonathan Stubbs and John Clark, and thank you for listening. Goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.